Hello, I'm Chris Kreitschow, and this is New Rust Station, a show about the Rust programming language and the people who use it. This is episode 30. Can you see me now? Before we dive in, Manning is back sponsoring the show again this episode. This time around, they have a discount on some Rust-adjacent materials, about one of my favorite things Rust excels at, WebAssembly. Manning has a book in their early access preview period called WebAssembly in Action, which takes a deep dive into the WebAssembly language itself. This is not Rust-specific content. What it is instead is content that will be super helpful if you want to contribute actively to the development of Rust support for WebAssembly, or if you just want a deeper dive into Wassum than I give in my own episode on the subject. I've linked directly to that book in the show notes, and don't forget that you can use the code NEWRUSTATION40 at checkout to get 40% off of anything at Manning, including this WebAssembly book, all their Rust materials, and anything else you find interesting there. Thanks so much to Manning for sponsoring the show again. Now, let's dive in. This is not the episode I had originally planned to come next. That one is coming in the next week or so. But in the midst of working on episode 29, I started to put together a discussion of the idea of visibility in Rust, and then I cut it because I ran out of time for the episode. However, I realized on considering it that it's a really important feature of the language that I've never covered in any meaningful way, and so I incorporated it into this, its own episode. So what is visibility, and why do we care? Visibility is the answer to the question, who can see this item? Recall that an item in Rust is a module, a function, a trait, an enum, a struct, a struct field, or a non-trait method. And as for why we care, it turns out that having control over who can see any given item is a really important tool in our API design. Things we expose publicly become part of our versioning story, and good and careful use of semantic versioning is a way we serve our library consumers. But it's also useful, as we'll see in a few, for how we communicate to other developers of our libraries or apps. When Rust first hit 1.0, it only had two levels of visibility, pub and not pub. In 2016, with RFC number 1422, however, Rust got a bunch of new tools for controlling item visibility, and so we'll talk through both how those tools work and how we can use them all effectively in conjunction with one another. There are now three top-level kinds of visibility. The default is not public. If you don't put a modifier on an item at all, it is visible only within its own module and its child modules. Pub means the item is fully visible to all consumers of the crate who can see the path to the item. More on that in a minute. Pub restricted, where the item is visible to some restricted range, has three variants. Crate, written pub, open parentheses, crate, close parentheses, means the item is visible everywhere in the crate, but it is not exposed to outside consumers of the crate. Super, which is written pub, open parens, super, close parens, means exactly what you'd expect. This item is visible to its parent modules, but nowhere else. And in path, written like pub, open parens, in module A, colon, colon, module B, close parens, or any path, where in that case, module B is a submodule of module A, tells us that the path here is the total visibility of this item. And the path can only include direct parents of the module where this restriction is written. 
Those first two, pub and not public, are the two that were always there. The restricted variants, which landed in 2016, are the ones that make this conversation particularly interesting. So I'm going to start by talking through these and how we can use them effectively. But you should also take a good look at the show notes, where I've included a very detailed sample showing how all the different visibility markers interact. And while sometimes there are just more words, more prose that are useful there, in this case, you really are going to need to dive into the source to see it all. Let's start by talking about pub, just plain pub for a minute, because it turns out that understanding pub clearly will help us understand these pub restricted types better. I actually had to go back and read the relevant section of the reference and play with things a bit myself to get 100% clear on these different ideas. As I said a second ago, pub on an item means that the item is fully visible to all consumers of the crate who can see the path to the item. That distinction is really important, though. It's not that putting pub on an item makes it visible regardless of other modifiers. It's that it makes it visible given the constraints of other relevant visibility modifiers. So let's imagine we have a crate which has two modules in the root, and we'll call them left and right. If both of those are pub, they're visible both to each other and to other crates which reference this crate. If left has a child named public child, which has the pub modifier on it, then left public child is also visible everywhere in the crate and to all outside consumers. But if left has a child named private child, which does not have any modifier at all, it is not visible outside left at all. If left had a submodule named child, then items inside left child could still see private child because child modules can always see all of the items in their parent modules. Sibling items, though, do not have that characteristic. From inside the right module, we can see left public child because both left and public child are marked as pub, but we can't see anything inside left that isn't marked as pub or one of the other kinds of restricted types, depending on what they are. We'll get to that in a minute. We could work around this by restructuring our crate, but that really isn't optimal, especially if you structure your modules around data types the way I talked about back in episode 20. Now, this limitation isn't necessarily a huge deal for designing a binary application, but it is very annoying for library design, and it's not the best for internal design for binaries or libraries. We want to be able to design our public and our internal APIs carefully so that we only expose to consumers the things they can actually depend on, whether those consumers are third-party consumers of our crate or other developers and other parts of the code base. That is in part so that we can evolve the internals of these libraries and even of modules while maintaining some external invariants. Having to make changes that are breaking all the time or coming up with workaround hacks for where we put our internal only but shared throughout the code base kinds of types and functions is not a great trade-off. And this is where the pub restricted tooling comes in very handy. The pub restricted family of specifiers lets us get much more granular about the level of visibility that any given item has. And this is extremely helpful in solving the kinds of problems I just highlighted. The most common modifier you're going to see, at least from what I've seen poking around and writing some rust myself, is pub crate because it's the most convenient. It lets you say this item is visible everywhere that has a path to it but only inside this crate. And this is like pub in terms of convenience, not in terms of its impact on your public API, though. Things which are marked as pub crate 
aren't visible outside your crate. And up to the point when I wrote this episode, PubCrate had become basically my default visibility for items I want to expose outside a given module. And I would occasionally go back later and tweak that, but I had found it a fairly reasonable balance between convenience and exposure for the type. More on why that's changed in a minute, though. The most restrictive pub modifier, in contrast to PubCrate, is PubSuper. This is convenient for when you have a type which you've extracted to its own module for namespacing purposes, in line with the recommendation I gave back in episode 20, and you want it to be freely available for its parent to use, but you don't really want it exposed to the rest of the crate you're working on. You might be tempted, given that you can write PubSuper, to think you could also just chain your way up to the very root of the crate with pairs of double colons. PubSuper, colon, colon, super, colon, colon, super, colon, colon, super, all the way. After all, that is a valid way to write a path. However, it's not a valid way of specifying visibility in a path. PubSuper is there as a shorthand for that one very specific but fairly common situation of wanting an item to be visible in its parent module, but not otherwise. Instead, if you want to write a restriction like that, you use the pub in path form. So if you had the module path foo bar baz and you wanted to make an item quax visible anywhere in foo, you could write that one of two ways pub in super colon colon super or much more clearly, in my opinion, pub in foo. You can write these kinds of pub in path modifiers with any path that contains the module the item itself is in. However, if some module somewhere in that tree is itself not visible the rest of the way up that tree, your item will only be visible up to that point. So if we wrote pub in foo function quacks, but the declaration of the baz module inside the bar module inside the foo module was itself not any kind of pub, well, foo couldn't see quacks then. This gets at one of two really important points you need to understand about visibility modifiers. They specify the maximum visibility an item can have, but other modifiers, or the lack thereof, can and will limit that visibility, and you may have to adjust other modifiers accordingly. The other important thing to take away here is that outer modules cannot override the visibility rules of their descendants. So with that last example, where we had the module structure foo bar baz and a function quux inside baz, where quux is marked pub in foo, well, foo can see quux, but it cannot write the statement pub use barbaz quux to make it publicly visible outside foo. The restriction at the point of definition sets the visibility restriction universally. And that's the flip side of the same thing I said a minute ago. A visibility modifier is the maximum visibility of an item. The last thing we should cover, then, is how do we use these most effectively? And I hinted at this a minute ago because my thoughts changed in the course of writing this episode. Now, I covered some of this above in part, and I covered some pieces related to it back in episode 20, but thinking through this taught me something about how to use visibility modifiers effectively, both for external and internal consumers of your code. So I hope it's helpful for you as well. First, and most obvious, is the point I've already made a couple times in this episode. Pub items are exposed to your external API consumers. Whether those are internal to projects at your company or to the broader open source ecosystem, those end up forming a kind of contract. 
when you change what's public, that's a version bump. It's a minor release if you expose something new, or a major release if you remove or change something which was already public. That responsibility with versioning is one reason you should always think carefully about what you mark pub and where and how you expose it. But another and equally important consideration is that your API is a way of communicating with your users. You really can help people understand and navigate their way through your code with the shape of your API. The way that items are exposed and the way that they're grouped and namespaced in modules should not be arbitrary. They should be a way of helping your users think the right way about your code base. You've probably had the experience of looking at a library, which just exposes a grab bag of functions and types in it with no structure at all. It's a mess, and that kind of thing takes a long time to understand. But you've probably also had the experience of working through the APIs for a really carefully designed library and thinking things like, I wonder if, yes, yes, perfect, that's right, where I thought it would be, or, oh, of course, that makes sense when you stumble into some new corner of the library. Care in what you make pub and where you make it pub from is really valuable, so much so that you may want to use those pub use statements to take items which are public throughout your crate and re-export them in strategic locations. That can make things more convenient, or it can help make things clearer for how different pieces relate to each other from the perspective of a user rather than as an author of a library. The flip side of that holds too, though. All those points about communication matter for internal visibility. You just have a different audience in mind in that case. Your users are not external consumers, but other developers of the crate. When someone starts working their way through your code base, it can be incredibly helpful and illuminating to see pub crate or pub in some nested modules as the visibility modifier for a given item. First, those modifiers tell you the number of places you might have to care about when dealing with a given type. If you're looking at a crate with 50,000 lines of code and you see pub crate, you know that a refactor could end up touching thousands of lines of code. And while the Rust compiler will guide you through that in really delightful ways at times, there are still really important signals there. This item is probably deeply entangled with the current semantics of the whole system I'm looking at. And that means that changes to this item are, for one thing, likely to have large ripples throughout the rest of the system, and for another, likely to have ended up in the shape they did for a reason. Again, those are useful signals in understanding a code base. By the same token, if you see pub super on an item, you can be 100% confident that it's not going to be used in very many places. It might still have an equally well-considered design, but changes to it are going to cause many fewer ripples and much smaller ripples on the design of the rest of the system. Again, that's really useful information. The same way that thinking about what is pub and where it is pub is useful for your external users, pub restricted modifiers are helpful signals for your internal users. Finally, you should also remember that you're communicating with the compiler with these visibility modifiers. As such, you can use them as a way of constraining yourself. The same way that we can isolate unsafe code in unsafe blocks that live inside safe interfaces, which maintain all the right invariants for using that unsafe code safely, we can use visibility modifiers. We can use them to isolate certain kinds of complexity, whether those are data structures or algorithms or whatever else, which are important for the rest of our code base not to muck with. 
If a given piece of code needs to uphold certain contracts in order to maintain performance characteristics, you can manage that with visibility modifiers the same way you would use safe wrappers around unsafe blocks to maintain safety characteristics. The way you should think about visibility markers then is that they're communication tools and tools for enforcing invariance. That combo means as I realized in the course of writing this episode, that my old default of using PubCrate because it's convenient is probably fine on small projects, but thinking a bit harder about what kind of modifier to use might get me a long way, especially when dealing with a larger project or one with more complex edge cases than I've gotten into so far. I hope you also found this discussion useful, both in understanding how other code bases are structured and in considering how you might structure your own code base, and especially how to use visibility modifiers as a tool for providing a nice experience both for maintainers of your code, including yourself, and if you're a library author, for consumers of your code. Thanks as always to this month's $10 or more sponsors, including Arun Kulshreshtha, Matt Rudder, Soren Bremer-Schmidt, Dan Abrams, Olushe Shonaya, Anthony Deschamps, Evan Stahl, Nick Gidio, Dominic Cooney, Embark Studios, Scott Moeller, Benjamin Manns, Daniel Mason, Jonathan Knapp, Nick Stevens, Jeff May, Benham Esfabod, Johan Anderson, Nathan Scully, James Higgins II, John Rudnick, Zach Peters, Chip, Jerome Froelich, Andrew Dirksen, Joseph Schrag, Brian McAllister, Brian Stitt, Rafe Levine, Nicholas Pochet, Ryan Osiel, Jason Bowen, Daniel Bornkessel, Jacob Denar, Michael McDonnell, Adam Green, Alexander Payne, Rob Chuk, David Carroll, Ramon Buckland, Martin Huschober, Peter Tillemans, Paul Naranja, Graham Willadol, Olaf Adei, Christian Paul, and Daniel Collin. You can sponsor the show at patreon.com slash neurostation or via other services listed on the show website, neurostation.com. You'll also find show notes there, including links to things I talked about, scripts, code samples, so much code samples and modules in this particular episode, and interview transcripts. Notes and source code for this episode are at neurostation.com slash show underscore notes slash E030. Please recommend the show to others if you like it, whether that's in person, via your favorite podcast app or directory, or in whatever media online. You can contact me at Chris Kreitcher or at Neurostation on Twitter, or you can send me an email at hello at Neurostation.com. Until next time, happy coding.